Back to Luke 24. For those of you who are in the early service, the not quite sunrise service, the quasi sunrise service, the semi sunrise service. Uh, we looked at the actual uh, account of the women who went to uh, the tomb and found that it was empty. Uh, we're going to continue um, on here in uh, verses 13 through 27 of chapter 24 in Luke's account of the gospel of Jesus. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him, And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and beside all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, Some women from our company amazed us. Uh, They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not, uh, him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Let's pray. Father, this morning we ask that you would uh, help us to see how much we are often like Cleopas and his companion. But we ask that uh, just as you sent your Son to speak to them and instruct them, so your Son would come, speak to us, and instruct us by your Word. Instruct us by the Scriptures and even work by these words that I put forth. May Your Spirit be at work among Your people so that we would believe and that by believing, we have life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We live in a fairly skeptical day. I think it might be fair to say. Uh, We're surrounded by cries of fake news. 
because in fact there is plenty of fake news that goes around or sometimes it's not so much fake as part of the story not the whole story in addition to that we have conspiracy theories that fly around uh, you know you have your 9-11 truthers you have your flat earth people and it just kinda goes on and this adds to sort of the skepticism that people often experience actually some of you might think I'm a little crazy because I'm one of the global warming skeptics um, or climate change skeptics um, and so there's a lot of skepticism that goes around what are we to believe what are we to think this is especially true religiously there are a lot of religions that are out there how do you know which one is right how do you know what is true these are all sorts of questions that can often be experienced by us and clearly are also experienced by people we seek to share our faith with let's not think for a moment that uh, the early disciples had it all together but actually we see in the honesty of the scriptures uh, that these were men and women who struggled to believe this magnificent thing that we call the resurrection. And so we saw some people this morning, and we're going to see a couple more again this morning on the road to Emmaus. The big idea this morning is that people are slow to believe that Jesus' sufferings and resurrection matter to them. Hopefully we'll answer sort of that question but people often mix truth and error in understanding Jesus and this is uh, something that we need to remember as we interact with people even as we interact with ourselves that we're just as prone to mix truth and error in seeking to understand who Jesus is and so the same day that the women went to the tomb and uh, discovered that the body was missing and meeting the angels and hearing that Jesus had been raised from the dead, that same day, later in the day, two disciples are making the journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And so, you know, that is about seven miles. And so you can imagine that depending on their pace, two to three hours of a journey. The events of the previous week were weighing heavily upon their minds and therefore were much upon their lips. Just as uh, you do when you experience something traumatic, uh, many of you probably talk it through with one of your best friends. So you have these two people who are walking together on the way to Emmaus and they're trying to process everything that they have seen and heard in the last few days. They were trying to make sense of the the trial of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, and now these words that have come from the women about the resurrection of Jesus. We see that Jesus draws near to them, but Luke says their eyes were kept from recognizing him. This should in some way remind us of the story of Joseph when his brothers were all before him, and it was a little different for Joseph there had been the passage of time. There had probably been well over a decade since his brothers had seen him. And Joseph was not dressed like a Jew, but it was looking like an Egyptian. And so they didn't realize that this man who held their fate in, their, in his hands was actually the brother they had sold into slavery. 
Here, these men, by God sort of uh, obscuring their vision, shall we say, um, don't recognize that the man who has kind of slipped in behind them and now has begun to engage them is actually the same Jesus that they have been talking about this whole time. We're not sure how God did this, but as uh, Brother Andrew would frequently pray, O God who makes blind eyes see, please make seeing eyes blind so he could smuggle Bibles into the uh, uh, behind the iron curtain. Something like that. God prevents them from realizing who this man is. Not sure exactly why, but Jesus then queries them about their conversation. I can almost imagine, this is of course anachronistic, but I can almost imagine Jesus putting on his uh, Detective Columbo jacket and playing dumb. Sometimes it's good to play dumb. Because then you see what people really think when they, don't, when they don't realize that you know what you know. And so, Jesus plays dumb. Tell me, what are you talking about? What has happened here? And so, what we see, particularly from Cleopas, is a mixture of truth and error. He talks about this Jesus of Nazareth. That's true. A man who was a prophet, that's true. He was mighty in deed and word. And so what Cleopas says is true, but it's not the whole truth. Jesus is the final prophet, but that's not all Jesus is. He didn't grasp the fact that Jesus was also the great high priest who was laying His life as a sacrifice, who was the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. He didn't realize that Jesus was also the Messiah, the King, the Son of David who had come to set His people free, although in an unexpected sort of way. And so he believes some of the truth, but not all the truth about who Jesus is. Cleopas expresses some of his disappointment. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. But this seems to be a redemption without blood. Perhaps... He was thinking more along the lines of the redemption that took place in Exodus. So if there was blood to be shed, it would have been Roman blood that was going to be shed. And so Jesus was not the conqueror that perhaps he had hoped he would be. Cleopas and the others feel like they are still oppressed by the Romans. They're still oppressed, though they don't realize it, by their own sin. So these men also relate that they had heard the story about this resurrection from Mary, Mary, and Joanna, and the others. And it sounded fanciful, it sounded perhaps wonderful, but it didn't sound true to them at that point. 
And so I want you to know that the people we meet often latch onto a part of the message of Jesus and miss the rest. And let's be honest, sometimes we latch onto part of the message of Jesus and miss the rest. And so I encourage you to affirm the necessity of Jesus' sufferings and glory. See, Jesus, without revealing himself, continues or begins to uh, confront their skepticism. He begins to confront their unbelief and by by extension, our unbelief. Who wants to hear these words from Jesus spoken about themselves? Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. There's some rebuke in here towards these disciples. You see, now the problem is, he didn't say, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the women have spoken. Not that there's anything wrong with the women who spoke these things. But he grounds it into something greater. He grounds it into the message of the prophets. The events that the women detailed were prophesied centuries earlier. And so it's not just the women that that they are ignoring. It's also the prophets, the Scriptures, the very things they said they believed. And yet, Jesus says, you don't understand them and you are slow to believe them. This is probably... uh, Part of why Peter in the first chapter of his letter writes concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And so we see that the Spirit of Christ was at work through the prophets predicting exactly what happened on the course of that holy week 2,000 years ago. And these men should have known that, but didn't. So there's a gentle rebuke there. Jesus continued that these prophets taught that it was necessary that Christ should suffer these things. Not just that Christ was going to suffer these things, but it was necessary. If sinners were to be saved from the wrath of God due to their own law-breaking, it was necessary for Jesus to bear the wrath of God upon the cross. He did not bear the wrath of Rome. He did not bear the wrath of the Jewish leaders. He bore the wrath of a just God against sinners upon the cross. But He also died because He was God the Son. 
He also died, as Tim Keller says, not because he was a good guy or not because he was mistaken, but because he was perceived to be a threat. He was perceived to be a threat by the religious leaders of of, uh, Jerusalem and perceived to be a threat even by Pilate against Rome. And so, we see on the one hand, he's put together to satisfy the, the righteous anger of God, and on the other hand, he's put to death as a scapegoat so that the people don't suffer because he causes too much trouble. What this means is that there is no concept of Christianity without Christ crucified, without the cross, without His substitutionary death upon the cross, because God's justice must be satisfied in order for Him to pardon sinners. And that's something that people can struggle with. Why does Jesus have to die for God to forgive? Why can't God is God? Why can't God just kind of go, you know, you're forgiven? Sin incurs a debt. And any time a debt is forgiven, somebody bears the weight of it. If I lend you five dollars. What happens if you don't pay me back? And I don't, I don't, I don't bring church discipline against you, Chris. <laughs> if, I for, if I forgive your debt, what I'm saying is, I'm bearing the weight of that money disappearing. I'm paying the cost of your debt as opposed to making you bear the cost of that debt. And it's $5. We don't even think about it. But imagine if a government said that. A government like ours. It's trillions and trillions of dollars in debt. It can't just be erased without enormous economic consequences. Someone must pay the debt. And so in Christianity, what happens is Jesus pays the debt so that we don't pay the debt. If that's not there, you don't have Christianity. You have something else altogether. So this means that we have to affirm the reality of our sin which incurs the debt, or Jesus' death makes no sense. He's just an innocent man who was killed by the man. Another in a long line, as opposed to the sin bearer who sets us free. And so we see that people are often slow, like Cleopas, to believe that Jesus is more than a great teacher, more than a great prophet, but he is the priest and the sacrifice that Jesus must be believed upon so that we can receive this salvation. But not only that, 
Jesus also mentions, and Peter mentions later in his epistle, the prophets also taught that he would enter into his glory, that after the cross there is a crown that is going to be enjoyed, that after his death there is a resurrection and an enthronement of Jesus. So there is no Christianity without a resurrection. There's no Christianity without the resurrection as proof that justice has been satisfied. That our sin has been removed and we have been pardoned. And we can be slow to believe that our sins have been removed. We can be slow to believe that our sins have been pardoned. We are slow to believe that we are accepted by God. We are slow to believe that we have been forgiven and loved and accepted and received as His children. We struggle to believe that. We are slow. This all means that we, this idea of the resurrection means that we need a new life. We don't need simply a little more education. Uh, We don't need a few small fixes. You know, I just need a nose job so I look more handsome. Not that kind of thing. We don't need a little pill that makes us feel a little better. We need a new life. We need a new heart. We need Jesus to be raised for sinners. That's what we need. But we're slow to believe that the problem runs that deep. One of Jaden's friends, affectionately known as Game Day Stephanie, to distinguish her from the one back there, Needs a new kidney. Her parents could pretend that she doesn't. But it won't solve the problem. She needs a new kidney. And thankfully they have a donor and thankfully everything is on schedule for May. Uh, May God preserve both Stephanie and uh, her cousin who is going to offer up a kidney. You needed a new heart. And Jesus offered up Himself. We needed a new life. That's how deep our problem was. And it could only be rectified by Christ's suffering and Christ's triumphing. So we need to affirm the whole truth about Jesus. His suffering and His glory to make sense of it all. Thirdly, the whole Bible teaches us about Jesus. That's important for us to remember. The whole Bible teaches us about Jesus. You see, Jesus wants to to illustrate this point that He had already made, that uh, the the prophets had testified about this and they were slow to believe this. And so Jesus gives them a Bible lesson. Of course, they don't realize it's Jesus at this point. But it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them. So imagine that for a moment. 
They're on the side of the road. And Jesus gives them an in-depth Bible lesson. One that was more profound than any rabbi they had ever heard give. I'm thinking that if I'm Cleopas, I'm kind of going, who is this guy? How come I've never heard of him? He's, he would be like the greatest rabbi no one heard of. As he unpacks the Scripture bit by bit. Now, he wasn't exhaustive, I imagine, because uh, they weren't there for weeks. Okay? But Jesus gives them a brief lesson from how He is revealed in all of Scripture. Now, this doesn't mean that every single word or every single phrase points us to Jesus. Okay? This doesn't mean that when we read in, in Genesis... Esau was a hairy man. That's somehow pointing us to Jesus. Okay? (laughs) That's not what Luke means. That's not what the Scriptures mean. But the overall message of Scripture, in many ways, keeps pointing us to Jesus. He is the main theme, and everything kind of channels in and teaches us something about Jesus. Because He says... In all the Scriptures, the things concerning Himself. He addresses their understanding because He wants them to believe. We don't believe apart from our understanding, but our understanding needs help. (laughs) And it needs the help of the Scriptures so that we can believe. And so Jesus reveals, for instance that the covenants that God gave to His people in the Old Testament, you know, the covenant to Noah, that true rest is found in Jesus and Jesus alone, that He is the one who's going to lift the curse once and for all, the covenant to Abraham, that Jesus is actually the seed through whom all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. That pointed to Jesus. That Jesus is the one who completely obeyed the law of Moses so that we can enter into the presence of God unashamed, unafraid. That Jesus is revealed by the many promises of God in addition to the covenants of God. That all of these things are ultimately pointing to Jesus Himself. But also we see that Jesus revealed that the law reveals His perfect character. That it's not some uh, you know thing that God just said, what kind of rules can I think of? These rules actually just reflect who He is and His character. They're not arbitrary rules but they flow out of who God is in and of Himself. And that these laws reveal who Jesus is. Just as much as they also reveal the glory that you and I fall far short of as sinners. Jesus also revealed that the sacrifices that we see in places like Leviticus 
revealed or pointed to rather his own sacrificial death and the fellowship that is restored because of it. And so in these ways and more, we see the Old Testament was preparing God's people to understand who Jesus was and what Jesus would do. And thankfully, you and I not only have the Old Testament to make us wise unto salvation, as, it, as Timothy did, as we see in 2 Timothy 3, but we also have the New Testament, which continues to interpret the work and life of Jesus Christ for sinners such as ourselves to help us believe more fully in Him. So, by nature, you and I and the people that we meet We are foolish and we are slow of heart to believe. That's the reality of the flesh, reluctant to believe. But what happens is that Jesus comes to His people and instructs them through the Scriptures so they might believe. Not just part of the Scriptures, all the Scriptures. The whole Bible. And so the whole Scriptures are necessary so that we may receive what Sinclair Ferguson mentions as the whole Christ. Not a divided Christ. Not a torn asunder Christ. But a Christ who is prophet. A Christ who is king. Who is priest. The Christ who suffered and the Christ who rose. And the Christ who sits enthroned in heaven and the Christ who will come again in glory so that we have the whole Jesus, not a partial Jesus. We need to receive the dying and rising Christ. Let's pray. Yes, Father. I confess that I am too often foolish and slow of heart to believe that so many of us in this room, we sometimes struggle with our fears and doubts. We can um, say, yeah, that's, that's true, but... And think of reasons why it doesn't really apply to us. Or that somehow our circumstances are you know, different and bigger and greater than Jesus. Help us to see the real Jesus in the Scriptures. Help us to see the Jesus who wept over the death of His friend Lazarus. And the, the Jesus who called Lazarus from the tomb. Help us to see the Jesus who knew that power went out from Him and the Jesus who refused to turn a rock into bread to satisfy Himself. Help us to see and believe in the whole Jesus. Especially the inconvenient, uncomfortable 
reality of Jesus. And we ask this in his name. Amen.